0: Good morning, everyone. This is Father Nate, missionary priest in Italy, and thanks for joining us today, January 11th, on No Greater Delight, our podcast on Marian feasts and Marian meditations. Well, as always, we have a great number of memorations, memorations, memories and commemorations today, and we'll start with the Madonna della Vetrana in Castellana Grotte in Bari, Puglia in Italy. This is interesting because what do they do? Well, they have huge... Bonfires in commemoration of Our Lady saving the town from the plague in 1691. That's right, they have huge bonfires in the town that recall how Our Lady saved them from the plague. So, what happened? Well, in 1690, the plague was like devastating the country, right? And so, uh, in the church, there was uh, an image of the Blessed Vir- Virgin that they call Madonna della Vetrana, right? Now they don't really know what vetrana means, right? Some say that it means a uh, vetrana meaning old. Others say that uh, in in dialect, uh, veterana might mean like the plague so whatever. It's um it's an old image probably from uh, you know 1300s and it's been up there in the church. So what happened? Again, uh, the plague arrived on December 23rd, 1960, right? And if you know the plague, it spread very rapidly. But the situation dramatically changed during the night between January 11th and 12th, 1961. Well, what happened? Well, two priests, Don Giuseppe Gaetano Lanera and Don Giuseppe Pinto, they were praying and praying incessantly that Our Lady would free the people from the plague, right? And so they had an idea, right? At the same time, they had the same idea. To anoint the, like, the... um, the infected ulcers of the ill, with oil from the lamp that was always burning next to that image, right, and with that to cure the pestilence. So that's what they did, right? They would anoint with this oil those who were sick with the plague, and they would burn everything that had come into contact with the illness, right? And so, what does that mean? Well, interestingly enough, from the twelfth of January in Castellana, there was no, there were no further deaths from the plague, right? Everything was immediately attributed to the miraculous intercession of Our Lady. And yes, she deserved that increasing veneration. Um, The mayor in 1691 tried to put the feast day in April to recall the miracle. But uh the people recalled the day of their salvation, that is January 11th. And they recall this with the fest of um, La Festa de la Fanove. That is like they, they have these huge fires, right? And so, this is the way that's described. It says, During the night, the region is transformed thanks to the heat and the light of many fires, which are lit um, like from well placed wood in the form of a cone, and they are made to burn until the morning of the 12th, right? So, again, 1961, or 1691, sorry, Our Lady saved them from the plague. Now, you might want to say, like, well, you know, they burned everything that came into contact with the illness, so that's why it couldn't spread. Yeah, but people still should have died if you had had the plague. I think the death rate was something like 30%, so you shouldn't have just gotten away scot-free after you had the plague. Um, Also, we have today, we celebrate Nuestra Señora del Carmen in Cojimar, Havana, in Cuba, right? So you might be thinking again, like, well, Our Lady Mount Carmel is July 16th. Yes, but it was on this day, January 11th in 1866, that uh, don pio garcia who was the sacristan of one of the churches asked the bishop of havana for permission to take up a collection to be able to build a chapel in this little fishing village east of the capital right so the priest actually donated the land and the first stone of the church was laid december 26 1877 on january 11th 1879 so that's, uh, whatever, 13 years after he began taking up, uh, asked for permission to take the collection. The church was dedicated to Our Lady of Mount Carmel. And on January 19th, her image was placed over the main altar and the first mass was said, right? It's a very big celebration for them there. Now we jump over to Java in Indonesia, the Guamaria Selintang, Kokap, Wats, and Yogyakarta, where the grotto in honor of Our Lady was inaugurated in 2004. Likewise, in 1666, the painting of Madonna del Sofragio, our Lady of Intercession, was solemnly crowned. This is in Rome, Italy. Likewise, uh, Santa Maria della Catena, in Aci Catena, Catania, Sicily, Italy. In 1963, the, in 1693, sorry, the church was destroyed by an earthquake. But Our Lady's shrine was left untouched. And last but not least... Um, Abed Orsini tells us that it's the Our Lady of Bessier in Le Moussin in France. He doesn't say what it is, but um, apparently this commemorates that a certain heretic who had derided the devotion paid to this image saw his house consumed without being able to discover whence the fire originated. Just a little reminder, if you insult the Blessed Mother, it's kind of like playing with fire. Uh, You know, either the eternal fire or, in this case, uh, a heretic who watched his house go up in smoke. Well, that's unfortunate, but uh, that's why we remain devoted to Our Lady. Not just because we don't want our houses to burn down, but because she deserves it. She's the mother of our Savior and our mother as well. As we continue with our meditations on Mary, Our Mother, taken from the writings of St. John Henry Newman, Today we begin a new section on the dignity of Mary, and today's first meditation, entitled All Generations Shall Call Me Blessed, comes from a letter to Dr. Pousset, written by John Henry Newman. Let's hear what he has to say. Now her dignity. Here let us suppose that our first parents had overcome in their trial, and had gained for their descendants forever the full possession, as if by right of the privileges which were promised to their obedience, grace here and glory hereafter. Is it possible that those descendants, pious and happy from age to age in their temporal homes, would have forgotten their benefactors? Would they not have followed them in thought into the heavens and gratefully commemorated them on earth? The history of the temptation, the craft of the serpent, their steadfastness and obedience the loyal vigilance, the sensitive purity of Eve, the great issue, salvation wrought out for all generations, would have never been from their minds, ever welcomed to their ears. And this would have taken place from the necessity of our nature. Every nation has its mythical hymns and epics about its first fathers and its heroes. The great deeds of Charlemagne, Alfred, Cœur de Lyon, Louis IX, Wallace, Joan of Arc, do not die. Although their persons are gone from us, we make much of their names. Milton's Adam, after his fall, understands the force of this law and shrinks from the prospect of its operation. This is what he says Who of all ages to succeed but feeling, the evil on him brought by me will curse, my head? Ill fare our ancestor impure, for this we may thank Adam. If this anticipation of the first man had not been fulfilled in the event, it is owing to the exigencies of our penal life, our state of perpetual change, and the ignorance and unbelief incurred by the fall. Fallen as we are, we feel more pride in our national great men than dejection at our national misfortunes from the hopefulness of our nature. Much more than in the great kingdom and people of God. The saints are ever in our sight, And not as mere ineffectual ghosts or dim memories, but as is present bodily in their past selves. It is said of them, their works do follow them. What they were here, such are they in heaven and in the church. As we call them by their earthly names, so we contemplate them in their earthly characters and histories. Their acts, callings, and relations below are types and anticipations of their present mission above. Even in the case of our Lord himself, whose native home is the eternal heavens, it is said of him in his state of glory that he is a priest forever, and when he comes again he will be recognized by those who pierced him as being the very same that he was on earth. The only question is whether the Blessed Virgin had a part, a real part, in the economy of grace, whether when she was on earth she secured by her deeds any claim on our memories, If she did, it is impossible that we should put her away from us, merely because she has gone hence, and should not look at her still according to the measure of her earthly history, with gratitude and expectation. If, as St. Irenaeus says, she acted the part of an advocate, a friend in need, even in her mortal life, if, as St. Jerome and St. Ambrose say, she was on earth the great pattern of virgins, if she had a meritorious share in bringing about our redemption, if her maternity was gained by her faith and obedience, if her divine Son was subject to her, and if she stood by the cross with a mother's heart and drank into the full those sufferings which it was her portion to gaze upon, it is impossible that we should not associate these characteristics of her life on earth with her present state of blessedness. And this she surely anticipated when she said in her hymn that all generations should call her blessed.